This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Glorias. You're Gloria Steinem. I am. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Taking to the road changed who I thought I was. Travel is the best education. It's the only education, really. I just returned from two years in India. The stories I saw and heard are amazing. I'm gonna try you out on a fashion assignment. If you want me to love you. They give a pay cuts if you don't smile. You don't fit into your costume. Or if we don't do the bunny dip while serving. I've been working nine hours with no break. Maybe we ought to join a union. How about next time going undercover in the porno business? Those are too big. They hide your beautiful face. They're perfect. Those women in bunny outfits are gonna thank you one day. I have a fear of public speaking. What Dorothy and I have to say is too important not to say it. This is the year of women's liberation. A simple right to reproductive freedom is basic. We're here to make revolution, not just dinner. We gotta stop sucking and begin to bite. You're working from within the movement now. Change comes from within. Every minute is a chance to change the world. Who are you, lesbians? What are you, the alternative? I thought I would talk about why Harvard Law School needs women more than women need it. How dare you? This is going to be a disaster. Stop the bus. You're broken down and tired. Are we there yet? Living life on the merry-go-round. This isn't the first time you've had knives thrown at you. Why didn't I object? Get out and slam the door. You will, lots of times. Speaking your mind will get you in deep trouble. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. And we'll rise up. I like the, way the road is messy, and the way the real life is messy. It leads us out of denial and into reality. It leads us out of our heads and into our hearts. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Glorias, and the story is as follows. The story of Gloria Steinem, from her childhood in the 1940s in Ohio to her leading role in the women's liberation movement. The film is starring Julianne Moore, Alicia Vikander, Timothy Hutton, Lorraine Toussaint, Janelle Monet, and Bette Midler. It is written and directed by Julie Taymor, written by Sarah Rule. Join me for this podcast review. I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Ryan C. Showers. Hey, everybody. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right. Let's talk about Gloria, shall we? Not just one Gloria, but V. Glorias. 
plural. This is the latest Julie Taymor film. Uh, anytime she comes out with a new film, there is cause to be excited because, quite frankly, there's no other filmmaker that is quite like her today. Whether you like her work or not, uh, she's definitely one of a kind. And Gloria Steinem is a one of a kind human being and one who really deserves a filmmaker to really bring their unique vision to her life story. And this movie premiered earlier this year at the Sundance Film Festival, where I previously saw it, along with Casey Lee Clark. And now it is being released on Amazon Prime for everyone to check out post Mrs. America, uh, which premiered earlier this year on Hulu. So that's been a little interesting on this latest rewatch for myself. Uh, but for those of you who are joining us on this podcast that did watch that show and now are getting uh, this version of it, I'm sure it will also be um, an interesting conversation to be sure. Let's first start off with Nicole Ackman. Nicole, what did you ultimately think of the Glorias? And oh, yeah, may I just ask, are you married? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really wasn't sure what to expect whenever I started this movie. I'm not hugely familiar with Julie Taymor's work. And, I mean, this certainly throws you in. I think that the most impressive thing about the movie to me, and the thing that made it work the best for me, is the fact that you do have the Glorias. You have multiple actresses playing her. And yet the character does feel so seamless across it. Um, and I think that they did a very good job in showing that a lot of the things that, you know, Gloria Steinem from a young age was thinking about, talking about, writing about are issues that are still persistent today. And I think that they did a good job of making it feel relevant without making it feel like, uh, you know, Julie Damore wasn't really like hitting us over the head with like, look, it's so modern. Um, at the same time, I do think that there uh, are some issues with the film. Um, it's runtime. Uh, I think sometimes the stylization of it gets in the way of it, but Overall, I do think in many ways it's a fitting tribute to Gloria Steinem. Okay. All right. Josh Parm, what did you think of the Glorias? Oh, and by the way, um, you have kids? You married? <laughs> uh, not that I'm aware of. Oh, okay. Just, want, just, wanted to, just wanted to ask, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. I understand. Um, well, for me, actually, walking into this movie, I really come at it mostly just with the perception of Julie Taymor as a filmmaker and I got to admit that her past work has left me rather mixed. I think she has oftentimes really brilliant uh, kind of ideas that she wants to present, but I don't know if they always come together in a satisfying way in terms of storytelling. And I'm always sort of respectful of her work, but not really, I never really find myself truly like getting into it on a real level that I think is successful. And I think that The Glorious is sort of similar in that regard. I think there are some things that are done really brilliantly. I actually really do like this concept of having this one character being played by multiple people throughout different points of her life and interacting with each other. I think that's a really brilliant idea, and I was very much a fan of that. But like Nicole mentioned, I think the length of this movie does get in the way of it's success. I think that at two and a half hours, it feels really long at some points, especially in the first hour or so, which was really a drag for me. And that's also where it's mostly focused on Alicia Vikander, which I wasn't that big of a fan of, sadly. I think Julianne Moore is really good, but I sadly was not that into the performance of Vikander. So 
overall, it's a very interesting movie, and it has definitely some intriguing concepts that it's exploring. But like a lot of Taymor's movies, it never comes together quite in the way that I wanted to. So I respect it, but I'm not really that much of a fan of it. All right. All right. Ryan C. Showers, uh, Marriage, Kids, you got any, uh, you know, any plans, the future? Well, I am married to Bradley Cooper. Um, no kids. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess now that we got that out of the way, what did you think of the Glorious? <laughs> well, um, so it's interesting because we've seen a lot of Glorious Dynam recently. We saw her um, portrayed in Mrs. America, which I thought was a pretty good representation. However, I'm a huge Glorious Dynam fan. I studied her in college. I wrote papers on her. Um, she's uh, even, even in the way that she's conveyed in this movie, she comes off as feeling so of the moment, even though she is such a, she's a woman from a different time and she represents a different era. She just feels so vital to today, um, which is why I think she made such great, uh, such a great subject for these two projects in Mrs. America and in the Glorias. Um, now to preface how I feel about the Glorias would be to talk about Julie Taymor, um, how she portrayed Frida Kahlo in, um, in Frida in 2002. Now, I another uh, Frida Kahlo is another woman whom I studied in college, whom I have the utmost respect for and adoration for, and I didn't really like what she did with Frida Kahlo back then. However, I do really appreciate what Julie Taymor brings to the table in The Glorias, um, kind of what Josh was alluding to, I love the way that I love the way that she uses this experiment of having Gloria Sam talk to herself and have scenes with younger versions of herself and older versions. I thought all of that was so so interesting, and I think a lot of the daring, unique aspects of this movie are so interesting to me as somebody who knows a lot about her, who's read a lot of her, um, who's read a lot of her work, and who just um, is generally familiar with her. Now, other people who aren't as familiar with her, who are trying to piece together her life, I can see some of these um, more experimental elements not working as well, which I can totally respect and relate. But I do think it's important and notable that Julie Taymor didn't march to the beat of anybody else's drum um, in making this adaptation of Gloria Steinem's book, the My Life on the Road, which is a very good book. She makes this story her own with her trademark visionary um, audacity. Um, and honestly, there is, I can't think of a better way to honor Gloria Steinem's legacy than to tell a story in a way that is completely unique to her, uh, to J- Julie Taymor's individual expression. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of points that have been said here. On my first viewing of this at Sundance, I was pretty into the movie all around. I was really, really into it. And... At the end, especially with the final scene, I walked out of the movie on such a high and was feeling great about everything that I had just seen. And then it was like one of those movies where kind of like after I was leaving the theater, I thought to myself, huh, I'm not so sure if some of those visual, very stylish moments like worked well. I think that the framing device, the black and white uh, bus I think that that is actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I love the payoff of it at the very end of the film. There's other moments, though, like the red smoke on the talk show with the Wizard of Oz. Or, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, or 
the scene where she's running down the street after, you know, having that argument with the Ukraine uh, uh, cab driver. And I just thought to myself, man, this movie would have just been much better, in my, in my opinion, if all of these other moments didn't exist. And the only stylish thing that this movie had was the framing device itself. I, I just kept thinking that it would have been a little bit more cohesive that way. With all that said, even though I'm mixed on the movie, I do lean pretty positive on it when all is said and done, because I do think that the larger-than-life nature of the filmmaking itself benefits a larger-than-life figure. And in that regard to what Ryan was saying about how Julie Taymor, you know, beats to the beat of her own drum, like, she swings big with this movie. I mean, full swing. Does she strike out? No, I don't think so. Is it a home run or a grand slam? I don't think so either. But I think getting a double is pretty good. When all is said and done, and, you know, I kind of feel like that's where, you know, we're landing here with this in a lot of ways is it's a very ambitious movie. And I agree with Josh. The first hour is definitely the roughest. I, I thought that those scenes were just dragging on and on and on. And then finally, we get to Alicia Vikander and the movie gets better. It's still not great. And I kind of chalked that up to like Alicia Vikander's uh, accent work. Which, oh man, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Felicia Vikander, but like ever since 2015 and that breakout year, she still hasn't really fully impressed me as much as she did when she first burst onto the scene. But then by the time it transitions over to Julianne Moore, I, I was really, really on board uh, with everything that was going on. And like I said, again, coming back to that narrative framing device on the bus, Every time they went back to that, I really, really thought that the title of the movie, the theme of the movie, and everything that the movie was building with, I really thought that it was coming together uh, well during all of those moments. Matt and Josh, you both bring up very good points about the first hour. So I, uh, Nicole saw this movie before I did, and she, she warned me. She said the plotting is a bit weak at first. So I went in kind of expecting it to be. And to be honest, I found the first, um, the first part of the film that focuses on her as a child to be very watchable. Um, however, I feel like it could have been really tightened up. And had they just had a, a tight 20 minutes before Alicia Vikander really takes over, I think that this it would have been to the film's um, benefit. And I think um, the momentum would have gotten uh, would have um, gotten rolling a lot sooner. And the film would most likely have a more overall positive um, reaction to it. Um, however, I do kind of disagree. I actually like Alicia Vikander in the role. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I Gloria Steinem has a very unique voice. Um, so I, it was the 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 deepness of um, Gloria Steinem's voice came out more with um, and uh, came out more with Vikander, even though I think it came out more naturally with Julianne Moore. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I didn't dislike Alicia Vikander, and you know parts of some of the most interesting aspects of Gloria Steinem's life are in her, her timeline, which um, it's funny because there wasn't that much overlap from what Mrs. America did um, to what's presented in this film, which I really appreciated and really liked. Um, but a lot of the, there's so much uh, inspirational um, material that Alicia Vikander gets to work with, which I do think she um, pulls off really well, especially when 
Gloria's career really takes off. I think the film really starts to fly. I, I think that, like, let me let me uh, clarify here. I I do like Vikander in the role. My only my only problem, and and, and Ryan, you kind of hit it on the head there, which is, I really do think that she is not as natural as Julianne Moore is in inhabiting uh, Gloria Steinem in the performance. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Vikander is bad, but I, but I, my problem with Vikander for the last couple of years has always been that every time she comes out with something, I'm measuring it up against uh, that breakout year that she had in 2015. And she has never come close to either one of those two performances that she gave uh, with Ex Machina and the Danish girl for me. And, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting for her to deliver on the promise of that. We gave her an Oscar literally when we first discovered her. And I just don't see where, you know, where it is. Where's that spark again? You know? Yeah, I I really do think it does come down to that naturalism that just feels a little stilted in her scenes. I think it also doesn't help that. You know, we've already mentioned the notion of kind of momentum in the first section of this movie. And I think that is a problem that is in in her sections as well. And I think that this movie takes a long time to get going. I would say, like, it does take about an hour until you really start to get invested in this story. And I think that while there are definitely some interesting developments that happen in Gloria's life up until that point... There is something about the way that it's presented and executed in the first hour of the film that just doesn't really, at least for me, never really came across as really invigorating. And I think matching that with a kind of stilted performance from Vikander just sort of compounded all of those issues. And it really didn't make the first section of the film rather laborious for me. I distinctly remember like pulling my cursor over to look at how much time I had left at one point and being like, okay, we've got to be close to the end. Right. And being like, Oh my God, I'm only an hour and 20 minutes in (laughs) Um, that beginning section is so slow. And, and I also think like Matt, you were talking about that you kind of wish that they'd taken out all of the stylistic stuff other than the black and white bus sequences. And by the end of it, I was like, if you guys had just cut all of that, you guys, I say, if Julie Tamor had just cut all of that, we we could have gotten this down to a much better runtime. Um, because I do think that that's part of it is that it starts so slow and then it takes so long to pick up that by the time you get to the better section, at least I was feeling a little bit fatigued by the movie. And I think that I was less um, generous to some of the more stylistic parts of it because I was like, okay, I don't need this. Tell the story. Come on. Um, and I think that that's partially because that the, the front, like 40 minutes to an hour is pretty dang rough. And you know what would solve this instantly? And I don't know if you can make this work necessarily, but the movie I think is trying to uh, achieve two things here. It wants to be the beat for beat biopic telling of Gloria Steinem's life, right? The greatest hits, if you will. But it's also trying to do that in a way that is not like the typical greatest hits biopic film in terms of their narrative structure, the stylistic flourishes, right? So I was wondering while watching it, man, wouldn't it have been better to either condense it or 
just kind of isolate during um, a certain period in Gloria Steinem's life that really does encapsulate everything about her and then maybe have flashbacks to um, her past and then maybe some other stuff with, you know, more closer to the present timeline with Julianne Moore and not have it be so 50-50 split between her and Alicia Vikander because a lot of it, I think, does come down to following that basic biopic formula um and that is why i think the storytelling maybe gets bogged down just a little bit in terms of the pacing and such because you know i think i think we've seen countless times over the last couple of years that biopics nowadays things like selma or lincoln you know even something like darkest hour uh tend to work because they are about an isolated event that defined who the uh historical figure was all about well, and see, here's the thing too. Um, why I think, um, like, I really want to reinforce what I said earlier. I feel as though people who aren't as big of Gloria Steinem fans or who don't know a whole lot about her, um, I can understand why you would be, uh, why people would be grasping for that traditional beat by beat greatest hits um, structure that you were just talking about, Matt. Um, whereas somebody like me who I really do, I, I do love her as an icon and as a figure in American history. I found the experimental stuff to be so interesting, except for the Wizard of Oz stuff, but that, that sequence I hated. Um, but uh, the, the, the biggest problem I found with the first hour and the, her, her, the childhood scenes in particular is it, they, they were a lot of telling and like, facts about her life, but they didn't show what made that aspect of her life and that part of her life so unique it felt most of the scenes felt very generic and very like we've seen them a million times before so i feel like if she really wanted to spend so much time with um with this part of gloria sam's life julie tamor should have done something to differentiate what made gloria sam so unique at this point in her life. Let me ask you this question, Ryan, as like the Gloria Steinem expert here on the podcast, what would you say is the most significant accomplishment that she had in her career? Um, probably her time at um, Miss Magazine. Um, and I, it's, it's difficult because the, uh, it's difficult, um, uh, because there isn't that there's there isn't a one isolated. It's in, there's so much to this woman's life, and like I know her. I, I whenever I think of her, I think of her mostly as a '70s icon and the work that she did um, w- within um, feminism and in politics in that time. But she's yeah. been a force that's echoed throughout, even from the '70s on for me. So I almost wish that they would have made they would have made the film more like. 40% about her work in the 70s and 80s and then 40% about her work as an older woman um, and then just like bits and pieces about her childhood that would just reinforce and bring it all together. So the reason why I ask you that question though is because I was wondering do you feel that the section with Ms. Magazine do you feel that that portion of the movie uh, was given its proper due? Um, I think that it was given um a nice do i i think the way that it um the way that they took um the section with ms magazine and um intertwined it with gloria really discovering um uh, f- uh, feminism and uh, feminism feminist activism 
Um, I think that section really is the heartbeat of the movie. And I think that is given its proper due. And maybe what I meant by Ms. Magazine was more so that. I think the section with Janelle Monet is sensational, um, where you can see um, how you can see the sense of injustice and how it's infecting Gloria and how she's, but in an inspiring way. Um, I think, I think that is given its proper due. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, when I was talking about before, why isn't this working? Why is it not fully coming together? And if you wanted to tell the story, what could have been done? And I thought to myself at two hours and 27 minutes long, you know, if you're going to do the beat for beat biopic structure and really, really try to take us through everything in order to make, you know, to Nicole's point with these, like some of these earlier scenes, have them resonate more, or have them tie in a bit more and understand, OK, why were these scenes necessary? How did these earlier scenes really impact uh, a decision that she makes later on, let's say, or you know, like we're, we're seeing these, but we don't really understand the reason for why we're actually seeing them. Mm-hmm. Maybe pad out the film and make the film a little bit longer, get to that three hour mark or turn into a damn miniseries. I think this would have worked amazingly as a miniseries. And it doesn't have to be a long one necessarily, like eight episodes. Could have just been like a four part miniseries or something along those lines, you know, then you get four hours out of it. Also, one thing, too, about Gloria Steinem's, um, uh, um, uh, what makes her um, such a, a historical figure in terms of feminism is, um, so the second wave of feminism was known is known for being um, not very inclusive to women of color, um, and Gloria Steinem was one of was one of the few exceptions in as a second wave feminist. She was very she had a sense of intersectionality, and um, this is something that Mrs. America failed at miserably. Um, but I think the Glorias gets absolutely perfect. I think the Glorias does recognize that Gloria Steinem was um, an ally for women of color during this time. And it shows um, intersectional feminism in a really strong, thriving way. Hmm. You know, Ryan, I agree that I think the film does provide a pretty dynamic portrait of Gloria Steinem. And if you aren't totally familiar with her story and her background, you do get a sense of who she was sort of like as a person. I think a trade-off that this movie has, though, is if you are kind of aware of the specific like timeline of events in her life, I don't know if the movie does a really great job of paying attention to those details, because I will admit that there were times when I was watching the movie and sort of thinking, like, wait, how many years have passed now? And and yeah. especially because you have multiple people playing her at the same time in some instances, it's a great choice, and I did like that choice, but I then also think the movie doesn't do a great job of paying attention to, like, where we should be centered within, like, the timeline of events, and that was often very disorienting to me in terms of just following the basic structure of the story, which at times did want to adhere to traditional biopic rules. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. You know what this movie really needed? It really needed title cards. I was literally years, places. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, I could not believe that there was not a epilogue of uh, title cards at the end to say, you know, because normally in biopics, it gets to the credits and then there is a little bit of text. <laughs> That's how you know it's a Nicole Ackman movie when that text plays at the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I agree. I was like, where is that? Where are my title cards so I know what year I'm in so I can contextualize what I'm seeing within the time period? I, As someone who has like a, I, I wouldn't say I know a lot about Gloria Steinem, but, you know, I have a working knowledge of uh, who she is and, and of history at that time. Even I felt a little bit lost at times, and I felt like I missed some of the context that I should have had for what she was doing because I didn't know what year we were in. And that makes perfect sense. Um, I can understand why um, this, uh, why the film may be confusing to some people who don't have an entrenched knowledge of it. Maybe that's a blind spot on my end that I, um, I'm not, I didn't recognize while I was watching the film, like. Oh, other people may not get this because the because Julie Tamar does scatter the structure so much. Um, so you know, I I I I feel you guys there. Now, with that said, I do think that a lot of the filmmaking that is on display from Julie Tamar, whether it's uh, editing certain sequences or the way that she moves the camera around, or my God. The costumes in this movie, that that by far might be my favorite aspect all around, is the vivid variety of the costumes in this and how much they really, really pop off the screen. I mean, yeah, holy cow. <laughs> also, I think, that, yeah. I think that this could be a legitimate contender for makeup and hairstyling. Um, I, I was thinking, I was really impressed by the makeup and hairstyling throughout but there, um, the there is a uh, scene it towards the end where Julianne Moore um, is transformed into the into Gloria Steinem of today's world, where that literally took my breath away. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! That was not the real Gloria Steinem at the end. No, there. So no. Um, so that at the very end on the bus, that was her. But there was a scene before that where it wasn't her. It was Julianne. Okay. Like when she's doing the book reading. Yes. When she's doing the book reading. Like, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Good, good, good. I wanted to make sure I wasn't going crazy. I was like, <laughs> I was like no way. <laughs> no way. Oh, okay. Good, good. But you know what? What's also interesting that I find about the filmmaking here is that there are definitely some very flamboyant moments, and you'd expect that from Julie Taymor. At the same time, this is like relatively toned down for a Julie Taymor movie. You know, there's definitely some of those very big moments and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't but i feel like for the most part 
there's not so much of that flamboyance that I usually see in her other films, which, which quite frankly, I, I'm sort of on the one hand appreciative because I think in some of her previous films, it gets a little overwhelming and it takes me out of the story. And I'm sort of glad that they were kind of used in very deliberate methods throughout the film. But I also think that because they are also so sparse that when those moments don't work, they almost stick out even more than if I was just being bombarded with them like I usually am in her films. Well, that's what I mean when I say if you took them all out but just kept the the bus stuff, I think it just would have worked so much more. And as I was mentioning, for the life of me, some of the sequences, like the the animated, like it's just an editing transition. That's all it is. It's an editing transition, but it's this elaborate animated sequence. And you're like, why? (laughs) You know, Um, and that's the thing I kind of like kept saying to myself was if it didn't have like any real purpose to tell the story and it was just Julie Taymor flexing her muscles, then why? Like, why keep it? You know? I mean, that's what you usually get in her movies, though. Like, I get it. Honestly, I was expecting more of it, so I was appreciative of her restraint. But I do think then when it's not working, it then feels like it really starts to stick out. And I do kind of agree with you, Matt, that really the only thing I needed was the framing device of all of the Glorias talking with each other and uh, the cutaway sequences on the bus, especially because that has a deliberate payoff at the end like it's there for a very specific purpose and the other ones just do feel like these stylistic flourishes that are there because somebody thinks that they're interesting to look at but there's not a real thematic payoff to them you know i i actually think for being such a weird approach to her life that it uh, that the um, surrealist aspects and the energy of the and just the weird approach to um, the filmmaking, I think it does have a nice flow and consistency. Like I was expecting it to be weirder and sloppier um, than I, just how Josh was describing it. The one thing that I can't defend, um, like I can even defend that weird animation thing that you were describing, Matt, earlier, but I cannot, for the life of me, defend the Wizard of Oz sequence. I think it's stupid nope. and. It's, it's, it's then at the end, Gloria um, reads um, a passage um, in the bookstore um, about the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And it's it doesn't link up thematically, in my opinion. Um, and I just I, I, I don't like that sequence. And it's just it, it, the it's yeah, it's terrible. Now, if we had gotten the context beforehand mm-hmm. and then seen the anime, uh, not the animated. Well, practically was animated. But if we saw the visual sequence then afterwards. I would say, no, you know, there was an attempt there, but because it's reversed and we see the sequence first and it's just so like WTF, what are we watching right now? And then later on, they try to tie it together. It almost feels like it's like eh, too little too late. You know, you lost me earlier and you're trying to get me back by bringing some relevance to it. And it's just not working at this point. It took me entirely out of the movie. I was like sitting there like, wait, what's hap- what? Um, what are we doing now? Like, yep. and I think that's a real shame because that's a point in the movie where I think that like it actually does have you like mm-hmm. that's one of the better sequences of the movie leading up to that point. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I was wrong. I I was being too harsh earlier on this. Like it actually. Oh, oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Like <laughs> The editing transition from Vikander to Julianne Moore, like in the chair during that interview, is seamless. Yeah. So much so that I was like, oh, uh, oh shit, 
it's Julianne Moore. <laughs> it took me a minute to realize it had happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and one really great thing about the filmmaking of this film, uh, of this movie, um, is the, the cinematography. Julie Taymor packs so much into her Miss and Sin. Yes. Like every, everything, every shot is so striking. Um, there's so much going on in every frame. I, I just love it. I can't wait to watch this movie again just to really absorb the detail and like the perspective that she's bringing to each frame. No, she is a monumental filmmaker. There's no doubt about it. And if she was just able to get all these elements to really just kind of come together, it would be incredible. It's like it's like though as if you're looking at a puzzle that's incomplete and you know that if you had all the pieces together and all the pieces are almost there, you can practically see that it is like this beautiful absolutely gorgeous perfect design but it's just slightly incomplete that's how i almost feel like with uh julian uh, julie taymore's uh films and specifically this one once again and it's part of the reason why like i kind of now want to rewatch mm-hmm. some of her other movies because i haven't seen so many of them in so long since my first initial uh viewings you mentioned frida and then there's also like across the universe and I mean, I don't know if I'll give The Tempest another shot, but, you know, who knows? No, you don't. The Tempest, <laughs> that is a terrible movie. I'm sorry. It's, it's really bad. But in any event, though, like, I agree with you, Ryan, that she is such a interesting filmmaker in terms of how much she just throws at you that I can't help but be mesmerized by her ambition and by her attempts. And... As I mentioned before, she's a one-of-a-kind filmmaker who takes bold risks that most filmmakers wouldn't even dare to do. Um, you know, I recently watched On the Rocks uh, by Sofia Coppola recently, and that is such a light and stripped-down movie compared to some of her more audacious uh, works that she's given us before. I can't even possibly imagine Julie Taymor doing something like that. And to me... I admire the hell out of her for that. I, I really, really do. Even if it doesn't work and I'm not gushing, raving about it, I, I, she has my respect. I mean, the fucking Lion King, for goodness sake, on Broadway. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I will always respect yeah. her commitment to her own style. And I think that should always be celebrated. I agree with you, Matt, that it doesn't always work. And I... I always sort of feel like her sensibilities as a storyteller just work better on stage than they do for film. Cause it always just feels like at least, especially with her earlier work that it's so flamboyant and so over the top that it almost feels like the movie is trying to reach out from the screen and all the way into the back of the theater, <laughs> you know, like you would do it on the stage. And it's like, you don't really need to do all of this for the movie. And that is something that I've usually struggled with. I don't feel like so much of that is here. And I do appreciate that even when it does have some of those big moments that there is also a commitment to play it down some more. And I think those are still pretty effective as well. But as we uh, kind of alluded to before, and one of the things that in the end prevented me from actually leaning into negative territory and pushing me into positive territory is I think that the ending of this movie is pitch perfect. Yes, even though 
it does sort of have a, a bit of a darker cloud hanging over it now <laughs> than I yeah. think probably you saw it in January, which is no, it's crazy true. to think that the world's changed that much in so little time. <laughs> it, it is true. But there was this feeling of listening to Gloria Steinem comment on the election of 2016 between Hillary and Donald Trump and listening to how the path is a jagged line and not a straight one. And, you know, seeing that rally with all of those people in the crowd, I mean, like the, the just the, the feeling that one walks away with at the end of this movie is very empowering. And I think it is ultimately capturing the essence of what Julie Taymor was trying to achieve with this movie. I didn't, I don't know if I felt it all throughout the movie, but I definitely felt it in those final minutes and it really, really set me off on a high and I, I couldn't help then but be positive on the movie overall at that point. Yeah, I think the ending of this film is very powerful. I'd say it's probably one of the most powerful endings of any 2020 film. Yes. Um, And it does, it's, it works some sort of weird magic where you can be kind of like eh on the film the whole way through. Yep. And then that ending hits and you're like, oh, that was great. <laughs> like, yep. I swear that ending raised my score by at least a half a star. Yep. Yeah, it it really lands the themes of the movie in such a direct way that doesn't feel overbearing either. It feels like it's a very natural progression that that it arrives at. And what's really great about it is it kind of builds on itself because it works perfectly well with like one character having a conversation with all of their past selves that leads them to this moment. But then it also reflects back on a an entire movement that is filled with conversations with many different people and specifically many different women at many different times, all leading to where the movement is itself. And it manages to bring both of those ideas together in a very natural way. And it's, it really is sort of a miracle that despite the movie kind of being very wonky in so many places throughout its like nearly two and a half hour runtime that it was able to land an ending that successfully. It is rather miraculous. I after watching Mrs. America, I really do wish that there was a bit more focus on the ERA. And maybe that is only because now having seen Mrs. America and the focus that was placed so heavily on that. And the fact also, too, that um Ryan, when is it when is it up again for for voting? Well, the ERA, it's never I mean, it ran out of time to be ratified um, into the Constitution because the st- not enough states got um, not enough states ratified it um, within the within the t- time frame. So Virginia just ratified it. But um, again, oh, is, that, is, is that what I was thinking of then? Maybe. Yeah. Virginia as the state did it. Like it went state by state. And that was the point of Mrs. Uh, that was what they were working on in Mrs. America. And they didn't get, they didn't reach the threshold of, I think it's 38 states. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they felt they fell short um, back then. But Virginia just recently um, ratified it. So, that, I mean, like, so I was just curious, though, because like you were saying there, if Virginia just recently ratified it, I was just I was just like. I don't know. There, there was a part of me that wondered, and it, once again, this could have all been solved with text at the end of the film. Like, okay, we've gotten this story. We've gotten this message. We're leaving this movie on such a high. What work is there still left to be done? Like, give us give us something in terms of like, this is coming up for a vote in this year, or this is not, not saying the film has to directly say this is what you can do today, but like, 
I, I wish that the movie kind of left us on some sort of a direction, like a path to take after watching. Because I do feel that, as Nicole mentioned, it has like this magical power at the end where, man, if the movie had text to tell me to vote for something or call up some congressperson to do something, like, I, I would have done it, <laughs> you know, in that moment. But. I don't know. Like, I, I see what you're saying, but it, like, the Mrs. America was an issue-focused miniseries. This is a story about an epic figure in American history, uh, her life, and her reflection on that, and what she meant to America, uh, how controversial she was, um, how uh, how inspiring and heroic she was to others. Um, I think that the, end, the ending... I, I don't think that it needed that ingredient to be um, to be successful, um, and you know, it, it's such a character driven movie and it's about these instances in her life that led her, um, down this, down this path. Like, you know, I think something the film does really well is, um, and I, I'm really interested to hear what Nicole has to say about this, but I think the film handles, um, just basic sexism within education and employment. Um, I mean, there's some really disgusting misogyny on display especially like in the alicia vikander yeah. um, portion that i think the film gets really well it gets done really well and i think those little moments um they add up to something that kind of that kind of goes toward what you're talking about matt i would totally agree with that i think that one of the best things about this film is how well it touches on a lot of different issues within feminism like yeah. uh abortion and sexual harassment and workplace harassment and a lot of those issues that are still things that women are dealing with today. And I do think, at least for me, it's impossible not to watch it and get that sense of like, damn, we've been fighting for this for so long and where have we gotten? Um, but also to recognize that without people like Gloria Steinem, we wouldn't even be to where we are. Uh, and I also, you know, I appreciate that not only does it do that, but it also deals with, you know, the whole thing uh, idea of intersectional feminism and sort of that that whole set of issues which a lesser movie I don't think would have included. Um, I, I think that it has a lot to say to modern day feminism without, like you were saying, it kind of losing track of the fact that it is about Gloria Steinem and it is about yeah. her life. It's not just an issues movie. Well, and, and Nicole, like to to your point about the intersectional um, aspect of this movie's feminism, it's not even so that it's just talking about like race relations within second wave feminism. Um, you know, there's like the different ethnic um, feminism, uh, you know, geographical um, feminism. I guess spends a lot of time with Gloria outside of the country. Yeah, like in describing, uh, it does it does so much while still maintaining that this is a movie about her life and what, where she's, um, how she's become, um, like, like a staple of American history. Um, so I, I don't think that it needs to say, go out and vote. Um, no, I think, I think that's just coming from the fact that I'm just so motivated right now. I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> well, isn't yeah. it, and isn't it eerie that, that this movie is released? I, I'm like, you know, a week or two, after um, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and what this could mean for Gloria uh, for Roe versus Wade, which Gloria Steinem, um, she had a lot of hands involved in that, mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, in abortion rights more broadly and more specifically. It's um, 
it's it's chilling without getting too off topic here there is a lot more that i thought that this movie had the potential to hit on the head however i don't think this movie obviously you know was able to hold up a crystal ball and look into the future of when this film would be released and what we would be dealing with in such immediate urgency right now i think that in terms of its broad strokes and you know what it ultimately is trying to capture as you guys have so beautifully uh you know explained here i i think that it does accomplish that part of it and yeah i don't i don't hold any of this as a fault against the movie it's just a personal want of mine simply because uh, of the time in which I'm watching it and discussing it with you guys right now. I mean, I'll, I would probably feel... I felt differently about it in January than I do today. Let's put it that way. What did we think of performances outside of Julianne Moore and Alicia Vikander? What do we think of some of the other supporting players in this movie? There aren't many people who really get enough time to make that much of an impression, at least for me. I think especially because you're so focused on... There are four Glorias to be thinking about. Um, but of the supporting cast, easily for me, the standout is Janelle Monae, who, I mean, I think she's great in, like, everything that she does, but I think that she does a lot to bring life to a character who doesn't get much screen time. I am going to slightly disagree with you on that, Nicole. Oh, okay. Um, I like Janelle Monae, but I have... I sort of have this feeling that every time that I have seen her since, like, the her breakout 2016 year, like, she's been good, and I think that she's good here, but she, I feel like she gets saddled with characters that are mostly just ideas, and they're not really, like, fleshed-out people, and I sort of felt the same way here. I never really got a sense of her as an actual character, but more so as, like, some ideas that were being imprinted on Gloria Steinem during her evolution in terms of her activism. And while I, I thought she was good, I just didn't feel like she brought too much more to what was on the page. And for me, the person who actually did manage um, to kind of elevate themselves from their character was Lorraine Toussaint. I actually really liked her performance. And to me, she was actually the standout of the supporting characters. You know, I um, I think that um, Bette Midler, Janelle Monet, and Lorraine Toussaint are all phenomenal here. Every time each of them are on the screen, I just kind of lit up. Um, as, and I, 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 each in their own way. I can't even. I wouldn't even be able to choose an MVP of the three of them. Um, I, I, Lorraine Toussaint really got a fleshed out, meaty character in Flo Kennedy. Um, but I, I, I can't deny that Janelle Monet. She, she, like that, you know, that sequence, especially whenever they're doing um, uh, Gloria Steinem and um, Dorothy Pittman Hughes, they're doing the the, uh, the iconic fist pump black and white picture. Like, that's just like, it, it was it was just magical. Um, but I do think, Josh, to your point, I, I would I would say that you're right, but I don't think that's a pejorative. I do think that's the service that, that Janelle and I's character provides to the film and to Gloria's life. And I think that it was conveyed very well in the storytelling and i think janelle Monae did what did what the role needed her to do um in in terms of just imprinting on gloria's life i agree more with josh than i do when i do with you ryan but i think that the standout for me was definitely lorraine Toussaint. i thought she was fantastic and I have to admit, seeing Bette Midler in the role of uh, Bella Abzug was 
oh, slightly underwhelming after the greatness that was Margot Martindale and Mrs. America. And I attribute that more to the writing and the time that was given to develop her as a character on screen in that movie. We're here once again. I do feel like, oh, it's great seeing Bette Midler just, you know, on screen playing this role like it it's it's enjoyable and it's it's great but there isn't much depth or exploration that is given to what mrs america showed us all that is a really 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 fascinating complex character even at two hours and 27 minutes long i say once again you know could should maybe should have been three hours long if you were going to tell this much of a sprawling story but i mean bella abza got an entire episode to herself an entire hour yeah. in mrs america so it's hard to it's hard I, I i so i don't know if i don't know if your comparison is necessarily fair on like on the glorious since this is like a glorious son of movie i i agree with you i think uh, margaret martindale's probably better it, it, as bella absug but i appreciated seeing Bette midler's interpretation of the character which i do think is i think there are distinct differences between the two and i think both are are are, are fun in their own way Mm-hmm. Well, you know, speaking as somebody who did not watch Mrs. America, um, I enjoyed Ben Midler in the film in in The Glorious, but I also feel like I don't know, maybe it was just me, but it seemed like that character was introduced very quickly, and then we were just on the ground running, and I, to me, felt like I was missing some context as to what was happening in terms of where the movement was going, and it seemed like I got the basic outline to it, but it did sort of feel like we were sort of rushing through her introduction a bit. And I sort of feel like the issue that I have with this movie is not necessarily that it needed to be like longer, but I needed the focus to shift a little bit. Like I needed less time up front with all of the kind of childhood intro stuff with Gloria and her background and a little bit more onto the movement and what she was actually doing and some of those other characters that she interacts with. And I think that had that, focus shifted in that way i would have been more on board with the storytelling as a whole i just want to echo everything that you just said <laughs> i also felt like as someone who hadn't watched mrs america and didn't you know just pick up from the name who this person was i was like i'm sorry wait who is she playing like why is she important like what's happening um and i agree i don't think that this movie needed to be any longer at all I think it needed to cut some of the unnecessary sequences to allow us to spend longer on some of these things and get some of the more needed context and some of the more important parts of Gloria Steinem's life. Um, and and some of that is like, you know, if you cut the Wizard of Oz sequence, you could have told me who this woman was. Uh, <laughs> but... You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I I would not have, wanted, God, I would not have been able to get through three hours of this. But I do think that, like, it would have benefited from having a bit more of a shift towards her later life uh, and getting rid of some of that earlier stuff. Because I, too, was kind of underwhelmed by the character, mostly because I don't feel like I completely understood her significance. And this was also a problem that I had with Mrs. America as well, which was sometimes there were events that were happening, characters being introduced, and I was very unclear about 
who and what everything was when it was first presented. But because that show had time to devote to the characterization and to uh, some of the events that it was portraying, you know, eventually I was able to kind of settle in into it where with this, you know, a character is introduced. You're like, okay, who is this? If you don't already have an understanding of who that person is necessarily. And because there are no title cards or nothing to really like kind of help people along with it necessarily, um, they do kind of just pop in, pop out, come and go. And you're kind of left with this a little bit of a empty, hollow feeling throughout a lot of the runtime of this movie. And, you know, Nicole, I, I, I it's funny, you know, it's like, I too don't think that the movie needs to be longer if it's more of this. My hope is that if the movie was longer, it would allow for that deeper characterization that would then make up for some of the hollowness that I'm speaking of. And that would aid in us being able to get through the runtime uh, without feeling it as much because we would be more invested then. In terms of any final thoughts on the movie, though, Josh, what final thoughts do you have for Mrs. Uh, not Mrs. America, Jesus Christ, the glorious? <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, the only final thought I have is not even really a critique. It's just a observation I noticed. Um, and this is purely for me because I'm a geek about this. Um, uh, and th- Matt, maybe you noticed this, but did you know that Rodrigo Prieto is in this movie? Wait, as who? He's at the very end. He is on the bus when the camera pulls back. Oh, my God. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because that. I, I, wow. Yes, I recognize that it is him now that you've said it. But the reason why that that person stood so uh, stood out to me so much actually was because I immediately thought. And, and then there's a second person that shows up uh, as well. But I, I thought to myself, oh, wow, a man. <laughs> I was like, there's a, man, there's a man on the bus. You know? It caught my attention, too. But then I looked at it and I was like, wait a minute. I think that's Rodrigo Prieto. And then I remember, oh, yeah, that's right. He does shoot a lot of her movies. And then it made sense. And he has shown up in movies that he's DP'd for before. But, yeah, that not a critique at all, but just an interesting observation that, at least for me, because I like that kind of stuff, I was sort of happy to see him pop up. I thought that was pretty cool. And I'm going to point out the thing that I saw a lot of people pointing out on social media when this movie dropped. And I I actually just knew this from trivia, but uh, Christian Bale is the stepson to Gloria Steinem. And that is yep. incredible to me. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> oh, all right. Ryan, what do you have for final thoughts? One thing that we haven't talked about with the bus sequence, yeah. um, the, the, the repeating sequence in development, is how melancholy it is at times, which I really appreciate. Like nothing, I, I, nothing in movies makes me like more interested in the storyline and, and in the characters. Whenever like characters reflect on themselves and their past um, in a very in kind of a sad way, um, and I think that Gloria Steinem, her life is so epic, and she's such a she's such an inexplicable person that those were the moments between like Julia Moore and Alicia Vikander that I value the most um, that, and that, that stuck with me the most. I think that uh, they, they dig at something deep that the movie needs. Yeah, no, I agree that other than the ending of the movie, those are the best sequences of the film all around because it is having dialogue like with your younger self, which is something that, I don't know if you guys have ever like done that before, you know, like play it, play it out in your mind if you were talking to your younger self and trying to, 
give advice or whatever it was necessarily, but you know, it's something that I do think that we do subconsciously all the time is reflect on the past and try to realize, you know, how we've grown since then and so on and so forth. And I think that the movie really captures that very, very well here. Nicole? I feel like we've kind of covered most of my thoughts on it, but I do want to say that for all that I have criticized the film, I do think it's actually a very moving film overall. And I do think that in many ways it does, you know, live up to what an amazing, incredible woman Gloria Steinem is. Um, And I will say if you're watching it and you're in the front section of it and you're struggling, keep going. Like if you've not seen it yet and you're listening to this, it's worth sticking it out to the end because it does really improve in the second half. And I, I am grateful that this movie was made because I do hope that this, you know, might cause people to seek out more information about her or maybe even read the book that it's based on. I really like the uh, two speeches that she gives, one at the church and the other one at Harvard Law School. I, I especially like the one at Harvard Law School where the uh, two women uh, clap for her and all the men are just like silent after she's done. And then like, I, I just, I really, really like the reactions of people in the room to those speeches. And the other thing that I liked, a little small thing here is I really, really loved when she picks out the iconic glasses and uh, the woman in the store tells her, those are too big. They hide your beautiful face. And she replies, they're perfect. I loved that. Excellent. One important thing that wasn't brought up on the podcast um, was the fact that Gloria is not a natural public speaker. Yet if you pull any like random like old person like baby, baby boomer who you know, and say, hey, what do you think of Gloria Steinem? They would say something like, oh, she's so outspoken. Yet she really struggles with finding her voice. And I think the film does a great job at showing that arc and that come to fruition um, and why those scenes where she's giving those speeches are so important that you just brought up, Matt, um, and so significant. Because she's not like a, she's not, Gloria Steinem isn't the type of person who's in your face yelling at you uh, whenever she speaks. Uh, and that's what makes her so powerful. Hey, you know what? Practice makes perfect at the end of the day, right? Right. Do it enough times, get up in front of a crowd, and it gets a little bit easier. Just ask uh, King George the VI. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking of the King's speech. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it. You were totally uh, with that? Yeah. <laughs> You're speaking my language. My grade out of 10 is a 6 out of 10 uh, for this one. As I mentioned before, I was pretty mixed on it all throughout. I enjoyed a lot of aspects of it. And even the aspects where I recognize that they don't fully work, I respect it more than anything. Uh, But in the end, that final sequence pushed me into positive territory. And I could not help but, as Nicole was saying before, just be like, uh, all is forgiven. (laughs) There you go. Pass. So, 6 out of 10 for me. Josh, what about you? Uh, I'm actually going to be a 5 out of 10. To be honest with you, most of it, I was more closer to like a 4. It just really wasn't grabbing me in terms of the storytelling for the most part, despite some interesting moments that were happening. And I honestly think that the ending is what bumped it up a little bit for me. But it's still a movie that I have a lot of mixed feelings about. And so that's really the highest I can go. It's certainly an interesting effort, but it just never really comes together in a very successful way. Okay, Nicole. I'm also a 6 out of 10. Obviously, I have a lot of issues with it, and I 
do think it's a very flawed movie. But at the end of the day, I think it's a very moving film. And, you know, like we've said, that ending really does a lot for it. So I went with a six. Ryan. I'm going to say an eight out of ten for me. Um, I definitely like it a lot more than um, you guys do. I I find the um, I still find a lot of the flaws very watchable, um, but the flaw some of the flaws are really undeniable, um, and I think there's a lot of interesting um, substantive things here that I look forward to studying and reviewing in the future. Cool. All right. Oscar potential for this movie. We talked about the best makeup and hairstyling. Uh, I mentioned best costume design. Uh, anyone in agreement or disagreement here? I think you have to say at the very least costumes, if only because they are Sandy Powell's designs. And you kind of just have to automatically assume she is in the conversation for anything that she works on. So for that alone, I would say that has to be considered. Mm hmm. Exactly. I would agree with that. And I also think it would be deserving. Like, I, yeah, I don't think it's where you'd be like, so. oh, she only got in because it's Sandy Powell. But I think they're really great costumes. They're Sandy Powell. I definitely think it's one to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, even regular T-shirts that people are wearing in this movie look amazing, <laughs> you know, and there are so many crowd sequences, so many of people having to be dressed up in these colorful uh, outfits from the era that to me, it's undeniable. I, I after watching on this second viewing, I don't see how it misses a nomination. If I'm being completely honest with you all. Yeah, I think I have it in my predictions currently. And that was before I even saw it. It was simply based on her name recognition. But as we said, it is actually deserving work, too. So I would not be shocked if that if it ends up getting that nomination, it probably will be the only thing that it gets. I would be very surprised if it breaks into any other category, but uh, costumes definitely is what is probably most likely happening for it and would be very deserved as well. I want to actually uh, bring that up, Josh, because you're saying that you think it's the only category, but Ryan, you feel pretty good about the makeup. I mean, where, where are we ultimately falling on this here? Well, I mean, I personally really dig the makeup and the hairstyling of the different um, time periods and um, the different types of characters that we see. Um, I, I think that it, I, the makeup branch is so weird in general. Um, like you, it's a, it's a crap shoot of what, um, what's going to even make the shortlist. Um, I, I think there's a world where it, it gets in and I think it would be deserving. I think it's in the realm, especially with the fact that there aren't that many, um, there aren't going to be as many contenders this year as there normally are. Okay. I could definitely see it getting in, and I do think it like has a lot of worthy work in it. It's not super flashy, um, and it's a little bit late in terms of period work for them sometimes. I know, you know, a lot of the times the makeup and hairstyling people like to go for a period piece, but this is a little bit later, I think, than they tend to prefer. So, like you said, though, it's a weird year, and I think that a lot of the films that we thought would have been contenders in this category maybe are getting pushed. So I wouldn't rule it out. I do think it's still, you know, a prospect there. I wouldn't be shocked to see it make like the short list. And I think especially because this is a type of movie that is a little bit more hairstyle focused than yeah. necessarily makeup, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Those make the short list all the time. I think they have harder 
I think it's a little bit more difficult for those movies to break into the final five. So I would be hesitant to say that it would get in there. But as we said, it is a very strange year where contenders are moving out of the race quite frequently. So there might be some spots opening up for it. I'm not going to make the declaration now that I think it's going to get in. But if it like showed up in the 10 shortlist, I could see that happening. And hear me out. What if they decided to campaign Julianne more supporting? Um, I I don't know. If anything, I think it would be the other way. I think Vikander would go supporting. Um, but I don't know. Probably not. I, I hate to say. I think she's phenomenal. Uh, I, in the role, like there's this one moment I really wanted to get to to talk about where uh, Julianne Moore. She there's uh the line is um the truth will set you free, but it'll piss you off first. Like, I felt like I was hearing Gloria Steinem, like, in a YouTube video. Like, she is so effortlessly good. Like, I would love to see her get recognition for this. But because the film's not really taking off, I I don't know. Even in supporting, I don't know. Yeah, that structure with all of the characters kind of intermingling, I think that actually does a detriment to anybody's chances because it does make category placement so difficult and i think that if you can't really nail that down it's you're already at a disadvantage and even more so when this movie already is not going to be like a universally beloved film i don't think going into this this award season so it's an interesting idea for them and you know why not try it but i don't really see that happening yeah the only other thing i could think of was um production design but it wasn't shockingly it wasn't as flashy as the costumes or even cinematography at times what about like if like critics groups are coming out and say rallying behind lorraine toussaint could we see a world where where she comes in and gets i don't know maybe if, even if she doesn't get an oscar nomination if she gets a sag nomination or something weird like that i mean yeah, I think I think it's possible. The problem is that she doesn't really have like that scene no. that you can rally behind, which I don't necessarily mind. I don't think that great performances always need like an Oscar clip to be great. But the nature of the beast is usually that you, especially for supporting performances, that you kind of need that one moment that crystallizes everybody's feelings about that performance. And she doesn't really have that. And again, not to say that that is a bad thing. She's perfectly great without it but for campaigning and and in the award season i feel like that's the type of thing that you need like one moment where everybody rallies around it and i just don't think it's there for her performance in this film as they say when you're voting too early to call yeah all right well i'll do it here for our discussion of the glorias here on the next best picture podcast nicole ackman where can i find you on the internet i am at nicole ackman 16 ryan c showers you can find me on Twitter at RCS818. Josh Parham. And you can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Glorias here on the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, 
you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including if you want to listen to all all of our reviews of Mrs. America, all those uh, episodes are up on there as well. Thank you so much for listening as always. We shall see you all next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.